starts with the blanket. You practicing for Halloween? Practicing? Practicing? <laughs> I'll have you know Halloween's my middle name. Gar Halloweenfield. I'm Joe. I'm Josh, and this is Video Dropbox, a movie chat podcast where for the month of October, we're browsing our video store shelves to choose some spooky staff picks. And last week, Joe, you had shared that you wanted to go with Ghost Watch. Yes, the infamous controversial Ghost Watch that aired on the BBC back in the day. And before we get into it, well, before we get into anything, let's have some trivia, Josh. All right. I didn't actually look up anything for you, so I'm going to do that now. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going to reach into my magical um, witch hat over here and pull a card out. Are you ready, Joe? All right. I'm ready. First question. What 2010 psychological horror film contains a sun that Astral projected into a realm called the Further? Is this... Is this an insidious thing? Yep. That's oh, okay. It. That's a series that I forget what ones I've seen and what they're about. <laughs> they're just like this vague, it's kind of like the Conjuring movies, which I do enjoy, but I get all of them. Like I just realized because I was looking on TV the other day that there's three Annabelles. Mm -hmm. I have no idea. All right. Well, number two, where are the phone calls coming from in the movie? When a stranger calls from inside the house. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Did you manage to find a horror? I mean, there's this one, like, which horror film was the first ever of its genre to be nominated for a Best Picture Oscar? Silence of the Lambs? No. Nominated, not one, one I guess. Yeah, that right? one won. That is the one and only horror movie to win, but nominated. I don't know why I'm thinking, like, Psycho, but is it earlier than that? No, it's actually later than Psycho. It's later. I actually give up. I don't know. That's Ooh. a tough one. It's The Exorcist. Oh, I should have known. I mean, maybe I shouldn't have. I'm going to retract that. I, I wouldn't know because, I mean, that one's a tough one. Like, there's a lot of films around between that time period that I would have probably guessed way before that. Like, Rosemary's Baby. Yeah, Rosemary's Baby is a good one that I would have thought that that one might have been nominated. Well, getting into Ghost Watch, and again, we'll get into it when we go through the information, but considering the amount of controversy that this movie dredged up. I think it actually has a pretty legitimate claim of, uh, if you wanted to argue it, being the scariest movie of all time. But before we get into that, though, I wanted to ask you, Josh, are there movies or what are the movie or movies that scare you the most like now as an adult, like not when you were a kid that traumatized you or whatever, but like now, maybe even a movie that like you've seen more than once because, you know, initial viewings, maybe you're going to be scared more, but is there anything that freaks you out consistently? Well, this is a tough one because I have to admit, I didn't go young, like young, 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 like I was a young kid and this movie scared me. But I was trying to just think of, I guess, the way I framed this question, because you kind of gave me the prompt ahead of time, was a film that I remember just really shaking me up. And like going back and watching and still really liking and thinking elements are scary. Now, I wouldn't say it's like white knuckled every time I watch it now, but the first one that teeters on the line of that like sort of childhood trauma slash like I still think it's kind of scary as an adult and people think is ridiculous is Poltergeist 3. I think I've mentioned that. Oh, nice. Yeah. Before I have this irrational fear of mirrors and stuff and I just I love the world that they create in that high rise with like all the weird imagery of things moving in the mirror and there's nothing. Yeah. In the and the effects are amazing in that film. 
the other one that really like I still to this day I think it still holds up and is terrifying and like I remember being in the theaters not knowing a damn thing about this movie and it scared the shit out of me it was Jeepers Creepers because mm. again I was living in Wisconsin it was like nighttime in the middle of nowhere we had to drive home and like that movie just starts off with a bang like immediately like it does not let up until the end and it's just fantastic the ring really did it for me like again i haven't watched it recently but that was another one i remember seeing in theaters that really like scared me same with the sixth sense it was like such a cultural phenomenon that like even to this day i still like feel the hairs on the back of my neck stand up at that scene when like he goes up the stairs at the party and he hears like something in the closet and then gets locked in and you hear that ghost voice like talking to him and he just starts screaming terrifying like i mean i still think that that scene holds up because you haven't kind of picked up like a lot of the using your own imagination horror really messes me up and then the more recent one was hell house llc actually i still think really holds up and is terrifying for a found footage film i don't know i've never watched that and not been scared because there's a lot of terrifying moments like there's someone's sleeping and they wake up and there's just a thing and laying like sitting on the floor in the corner of the room with a demon face and they like pull the covers up over their head and then slowly look and then the thing's closer and then they pull the covers up like that shit is terrifying so how about you top of the mountain for me is probably still honestly parts of halloween the original and really i guess like john carpenter in general prince of darkness isn't one of my favorites of his but it's probably because i find it so unnerving like gross and weird and uh otherwise that weird subgenre of like Japanese investigative horror <laughs> that are like slow burn. So things, I mean, like Kyoshi Kurosawa does it with Pulse and Cure, but also the found footage movie Noroi the Curse. I can't believe I totally slept on Pulse. I can't believe I'm going to replace. <laughs> okay, I'm going to replace uh, The Ring because The Ring probably isn't as scary as it used to be because we all know the, the twist. I'm going to replace The Ring on my list with Pulse, but, like the slow walk. Yeah. And just like, there's so much happening in the backgrounds, like that stuff gets me. And also just when it is, like how I said, investigative horror, where it's just a lot of this, like the characters researching things and just coming across really weird, unnerving things. It's like that slow burn build of horror is kind of what gets me the most. Well, for how, like I said, Ghostwatch might fit into like a legitimate scary film because this film freaked me out i will say when i first watched it not so much this viewing but just a few bits of trivia before we get into more details why ghost watch could be considered one of the scariest movies ever made the majority of the actors in this film were actual presenters on tv they're playing themselves so this is a lot like orson welles's war of the worlds radio broadcast back in the day plus there was a real call-in number too and the thing is if you would call in this number. It was supposed to be someone would be on the other line saying like, this is a work of fiction. But so many people were calling in, most people just got a busy signal, <laughs> which adds to the horror. But on top of that, kind of the consequences of Ghostwatch was that, I mean, the real sad one is that Martin Denham, who was 18 years old at the time, hung himself five days after the broadcast of this. And the parents said it was very much due to watching this program and being obsessed with it and being scared about it. He has learning disabilities and became very frightened by the faulty central heating system of his house. Mm. So he was thinking that Pipes, the ghost in Ghostwatch, was real. And also, this has the infamous honor of being the first film cited in the British Medical Journal 
for causing PTSD in children. On Saturday night, we'll be visiting the most haunted house in Britain. But will the ghosts be there? Can you take it? Ghostwatch, a Screen One special for Halloween, Saturday at 9.25 on One. I guess I've done a terrible job explaining to listeners what exactly this is, where it's it presents itself as a real-time BBC special of investigating uh, a haunted house. It's not like your typical haunted house film. It's just like literally a normal suburban home that has yeah. like ghost sightings, previous ghost yeah. sightings, and then things unfold as it goes. It gets crazier and crazier as it goes. And it definitely is a precursor to the found footage genre. So Ghostwatch aired on BBC One on Halloween night, 1992. Not only was this not released in the UK for over uh, for 10 years, but it to this day has never been rebroadcast there. And then for the cast, who I said of the people who are playing themselves, uh, and the main guy is Michael Parkinson. He is he just passed away this past August, I believe. Uh, but he was a huge mainstay at BBC. Definitely that trustworthy face if you're turning on your TV uh, and seeing someone presenting this haunted house. And I guess he didn't even tell his mom what was going on because his mom was one of the 30,000 people who called in to complain. Oh, no. I guess she was very worried about him. It was like, oh. But also we have Sarah Green... Mike Smith, who are a real-life married couple. And actually, Mike Smith wasn't originally asked to be in it, but he was reading the script over Sarah Green's shoulder. He's like, hey, can I be in this too? (laughs) Um, And then Craig Charles as the kind of dick reporter outside, who I knew the best because he was in the sci-fi sitcom Red Dwarf. Uh, And the only major character who... Is actually playing someone who they're not. It's Jillian Devon is playing Dr. Pascoe, who's talking with Michael Parkinson the whole time. And then the director's Leslie Manning and the writer's Stephen Volk. They like they did some stuff, but nothing huge. And they did, I'll just throw this out there, base ghost watches haunting on the Enfield poltergeist, very famous. You know, it was the basis for Conjuring 2, mm. among other things. I think it's a lot of movies. And then I guess. The reviews are hard. Leonard Malton, unfortunately, I don't think ever saw Ghostwatch. But to off-balance the 30,000 complaints that they received, (laughs) uh, it does have 100% on Rotten Tomatoes with seven reviews. So I don't know. I mean, I think it's held up as a very influential classic horror film now. All right. Um, It opens with a screen one graphic followed by Mark Michael Parkinson in Ghostwatch. And then we immediately cut to Parkinson in studio, speaking directly to the camera, mentioning the program you're about to watch is a unique live investigation of the supernatural. It contains material which some viewers may find disturbing. Uh, Michael does introduce a paranormal phenomenon located in the suburban neighborhood of Fox Hill Drive. And I have to say that I really um, resonate with this because I grew up on Fox Point Drive. So oh. it was kind of fun to like hear this like suburban neighborhood in the middle of, the, you know, but this is obviously in the UK. But while he's introducing this behind him is a giant screen of like a million little TVs that essentially plays a university research video of two young girls, Suzanne and Kim, aka Kimmy's what they end up calling her, in their bedroom. The girls argue for a second before turning off the lights and go to bed, and then we fade to a different timestamp indicating that it's 3.55 a.m., and Kimmy, wake, the youngest, wakes up, turns the light on, and you kind of leaves the frame to go use the bathroom. And that's when we hear a loud bang waking up Suzanne, 
and Kimmy returns equally scared as the two girls start screaming for their mother and items are now essentially flying across the room and their bedside lamp begins to float. Suzanne yells, get off me and don't touch me, which is pretty unnerving. But there's nothing happening at this point. Like she's in her bed alone. She's just yelling this. And then that's when their mother enters. And then the lamp that's floating next to them explodes, sending all three of them running from the room. So we get this incredible 90s BBC Ghostwatch intro that I loved. I don't know how you feel, but they're like loading up the trucks with film equipment and stuff. It's just great. It's just like definitely leans into I don't want to say the kitsch because they weren't trying to do that back then. But now looking back, it's definitely like this Ghost Hunters type intro that I love. And then they eventually cut back to Michael in the studio. And he explains that his crew have set up at the Fox Hill Drive home to prove his Uh, to prove this Halloween night that ghosts do exist. And I do have to point out, Joe, the fantastic set design of this studio. I wanted everything that was behind him. There was like these skulls over the mantle and these crystal balls behind Michael as he's talking. And then like one of my favorites was this upside down skull that was like a goblet. There were like skull lights on the floor. There was this fake fireplace behind him where it was like, well, it was a fireplace, but it was like a fake fireplace video that stuff you see like the yule logs burning um and then to top it off there's a classic white sheet ghost portrait just hanging above yeah. the mantle like right behind michael so it's great it's so great i was like man i would love to do that because we have a fireplace at our house and we just have a giant mirror but instead i should totally talk adam into like letting me put that up this framed portrait of a ghost sheet <laughs> a ghost yeah like a person in the traditional ghost sheet and just be yeah. like oh yeah that's my grand great great grandfather i feel that really helps fit into because like as this is going like michael parkinson is definitely like like the skeptic. So just like how they've decked things out. They're not taking things too seriously. So Michael introduces Dr. Lynn Pasco, who I had to make a note, like totally looks like Helen Hunt sometimes. Oh, yeah. I'm just <laughs> like, man, every time I saw her at different angles, I'm like, is this Helen Hunt with a perm? I swear. But yeah, he introduces her to the viewers and mentions she will provide her expertise as the night goes on. And he also mentions that throughout the program, will be connecting with others for their expert opinions about the supernatural. And he will also be taking calls from viewers that can share their own ghost stories or comment on the details of the Fox Hill Drive hunt. So Michael tosses it over to Ghost Watch reporter Craig Charles, who Joe referred to earlier in the show... Red Dwarf. Red Dwarf. And he is live outside the Fox Hill Drive home, hamming it up a little bit, essentially indicating that he's a non-believer. I mean, he doesn't say, like, I don't believe in ghosts, but he definitely is, like, just very silly, like, as if it's, like, a normal news report, and he's just kind of making fun of it and not scared at all. And he introduces Pam Early, the mother of Suzanne and Kim, who we saw earlier, as the owner of the home. So we cut back to the studio where we introduced, are introduced to Mike Smith, who oversees the call center, taking viewer calls. And he shares the number that people could call in, the 081-811-8181. And Michael mentions that Mike has an extra interest in tonight's story because, as Joe mentioned off the top, the reporter spending the night inside the Fox Hill Drive home is his wife, Sarah Green. And then there's a quick shot of Sarah listening to the coverage from her team until Michael kind of turns it back over to Craig and we'll meet her later. So Craig interviews Pam, uh, Suzanne, and Kim about their experiences in the home. And the girls mention that items were constantly being destroyed and blamed on them. Pam mentions a thick, disgusting smell from their taps, mysterious stains on clothes, and then even their air just giving out. And so in the studio, Michael checks in with Pasco, 
um, and it's revealed that she has already spent time with the family in their home and witnessed the paranormal experiences. She also mentions that it makes her angry that people think it's all fake because she has experienced all this stuff firsthand. So we officially meet Sarah as she converses with Michael and her husband, Mike. And this can be confusing because as we go on, you'll see there's multiple Mikes. But she even mentions she has her own ghost story and she'd like to share that later in the program. And so eventually she introduces Alan Demescu, an electronics engineer and a member of the Society for Psychic Research. And he runs down the list of events the crew hoped to capture on film while investigating the Foxhill Drive. He takes viewers inside a BBC van to show them that the cameras have been placed throughout the home to basically capture these incidents. Tapes inside the van are time-coded in atmospheric conditions and temperatures are logged by sensors so they can tell if anything changes, which essentially act like burglar alarms and set off a red light if something does change. And then the sensors measure cold, not heat, and they're also detecting low and high frequencies. So Sarah takes hold of the camera, introduces viewers to her cameraman Chris Miller, and explains that their camera was essentially updated so they can read infrared. And he gives a quick demonstration before Sarah also introduces her sound man, another Mike, Mike Ayton. These two actually are also, I'm assuming those are their real names, but I know they're real BBC crew members because the BBC asked like, all right, which one of you crew want to act on camera as well? And I think these were the only two who said yes. (laughs) (laughs) When it's so brief that it's like, it shouldn't make them nervous, but yeah. So we meet Soundman and the cameraman, and then all three of them head inside the home and join Pamela and the girls. And so we cut back to the studio where Michael discusses Fox Hill with Pascal, and they take a call from a listener who mentions that they saw the outline of a woman standing in a black dress by the girl's window in the video that was shown earlier. And this is the first of many spooky sort of planting the seed to really mess with you, right? So Pascal mentions it's impossible because she's watched that video numerous times. And Michael asks that the caller can share the exact time spot um, because they can basically run the tapes back and replay the footage so they can analyze it. So we cut to Sarah, who's now bobbing for apples. I love this. They're just like one little tiny bucket. So while Sarah's bobbing for apples and talking to the girls, she hears a noise in the closet nearby and moves in to investigate. And before she can really dig into what's making the noise, Craig pops out wearing a wolf mask, screaming. Everyone's laughing. But I do love they cut back to the studio where Pascal is just looking like she's like not pissed. She just looks very like, look, this is some serious shit. Stop making fun of it. Even Michael in the studio is like, oh, oh, oh," you know, like jolly (laughs) laughing. But like, she's the only one that just does not smile at all. She's just looking at it like, are you fucking kidding? Anyway. I appreciated that moment. So Sarah puts her journalist hat on after that moment and gets very serious as she leads viewers upstairs into the girl's bedroom where Pamela tells her about their first paranormal experience. And she mentions that the girls are always tucked in at night. And Suzanne interrupts, mentioning that one night her mother came in the room and just stood there staring at her and then laughed. And Pamela mentions that particular night she didn't actually tuck the girls in because she she fell asleep in a rare moment. And a few nights later, then Pamela mentions that she was woken up in her room by this loud banging all around her. And when the girls asked what it was, Pamela told them, oh, it must have been the pipes. So then from then on, Pamela mentions that whenever something strange happened, Kimmy, the youngest, mentioned, it's pipes, pipes is here. 
So Kim points to the window and mentions that's where Pipes hides over there behind the curtains. And Sarah asks if that's where he lives. So Kim leads Sarah downstairs and shows her a barricaded door underneath the stairs. And she mentions that that is where she saw him, basically through the cracks in the door. And Kimmy shares a picture she drew of him, mentioning that he looked disgusting. And Pam hands Suzanne's school notebook to Sarah and shows creepy writing and a bloody picture inside. And that's when Suzanne tells her that she didn't do that, to which Sarah said, who or what did it? Very journalistic. So then back in the studio, Mike shares that they did receive multiple calls from viewers mentioning that they too have seen a mysterious figure in the video played earlier. And then they play the video showing a much more visible figure standing along the curtains. And the footage is freeze-framed, and Pascal points out the image, mentioning that it's likely an image caused by shadows from the room. But I don't know, Joe, did you see it? Oh, yeah, like, I love this. Because the first time they play it in the beginning of this movie, the figure isn't there. But when they rewind it and play it here, the first time they watch it, there's like absolutely something there. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, oh, can you rewind so we can watch it again? And they do that. And then the figure's not there anymore. And they do this whole back and forth of like bringing out this monitor to draw on. And they're like, oh, I see what's happening. It could be a shadow or it could be something. But the places where they're drawing on the monitor isn't where the figure was so it's like a total mind fuck if you're like wait what did i see did i especially yeah at this time in the 90s when you can't rewind this you're like wait what why aren't why did why aren't they seeing this at all and i feel like it's very obvious like the first time that they play it that you're like oh my god but it goes so fast that you're like oh okay and then they rewind it you don't see it and you're like wait what yeah and then like do you have michael parkinson saying like when they show the clip where it's very obvious there's a figure michael parkinson's like yeah mm, i don't see it it's like what so no wonder people had ptsd because they're like (laughs) literally like wait i'm not crazy i swear so back at fox hill sarah asked pamela what has been the worst thing so far that she's experienced in this house. And she walks Sarah over to the barricaded door under the stairs that Kimmy showed her earlier and explains that her ex-husband used to develop his own photos in a dark room under the stairs, and they called it the glory hole. Mm. And uh, one night while searching for a letter, the door stuck, trapping Pamela inside. And she said it felt like someone was pushing it from the outside, basically barricading her in. So she yelled for the girls, but all she could hear was Kimmy yelling, it's Pipes, Pipes is here. And Pamela eventually got out, but while she was in there, she said she felt like a man was in there with her breathing against her face, and she described his breath as bad as, like, strong, rotten cabbage. And after that experience, she was immediately like, nope, we're out of here. So she wrote to the council to try to move, but they wouldn't take her seriously. What kind of, like, homeowners association do you have that's like, no, you can't leave? Yeah, exactly. Well, and I also think about that, too, like, it's too bad that Pamela couldn't think of like a better lie to be like, my ex-husband's trying to kill me. I don't know. Or don't go straight to there's a ghost. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So after, you know, the council didn't take her seriously, she decided to see a social worker who suggested a psychiatrist. And then once the newspapers heard about the story, they all wrote up pieces making the family start look even worse, which basically did, like, made them seem like they're absolutely batshit. And then that's why she, unfortunately, every move she makes gets worse and worse because she tries to turn to TV to try to explain this to everybody. And unfortunately, the skeptics make her look even worse. So Sarah does play a quick clip of the video on a talk show, and it's pretty harmless. But again, you can imagine that people probably tore her to shreds thinking she's just trying to get on TV. 
And then basically Sarah, after the clip is shown, she in, she's instructed to send Pamela outside to a mini studio where she can take calls and answer questions from the studio. So Pamela's patched through to Michael and Pascal when she leaves, and she tells them the reason she decided to do this BBC special is because Suzanne was sick of getting made fun of by the other kids, and the family are hoping to prove that they're not making this all up. And then, you know, you got to feel bad for the kids, because again, like, let's say nothing ever happened this night, like, they're just going to get it so much worse, right? Because it's like, like live TV where a lot of people are watching. Yeah. So Michael switches gears and introduces Pascal's um, book, Angels of the Odd which details her investigation and accounts with the Fox Hill house. And he even pulls up footage of Suzanne undergoing the Gonsfeld technique, which apparently is blocking all senses and feeding in white noise. And this, Pascal was mentioning, evoked a distinct voice from Suzanne, which she then plays on a recording. And again, this is a very effective um, moment in the movie. But on it, we hear the girls screaming and things being thrown around, I guess, in the room. When it stops, there's this disturbing groaning that begins. And Pascal asks basically the ghost, whoever, the voice, to speak. And in a garbly voice, we hear it say, and I had to put on the captions because like it's tough to make out. Yeah, it's tough to make out. But now when you like see the actual like lines, it's pretty creepy because it says round and round the garden like a teddy bear. One step, two step, take her. Pascal asks for its name, but the response is inaudible. And then the voice continues. All good children go to bed and good. I smell blood. Fee, fi, fo, fum, followed by heavy breathing. And Josh, during the scene, did you notice the outline of pipes appear in the studio in the background? I didn't. Yeah, oh, it's uh, the camera is on Dr. Pasco and the tape player, but in the background, like it kind of like lights up a little bit, so you can see the outline of pipes. Oh God! There's multiple hidden pipes throughout this uh, movie, which that's... you can find compilations of that on YouTube. So that's I'll point great. out a few others as it co- goes along. Yeah, I'm going to have to do that. I'm glad that someone did that because I've thought about that. I'm like, I wonder how many other things I didn't see. But uh, yeah, after Pasco, the the sighting of pipes, Pasco tells Michael that forensic scientists examined this tape with the scary voice and compared it to Suzanne's normal speech pattern and defined it as two separate people. So Pasco presents more evidence by sharing a black and white photo of the girls um, huddling in their bed while items are thrown around the room. And she even points out that the pillow flying through the air in the picture nearly hit her when they snapped that photo. So Pasco shows Michael various broken items from the home that were cracked or shattered by extreme temperature change. Which I love this too, where it's just like they just have like pieces of broken dishes, like, oh, look at this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like oh, some I think some of the items are kind of interesting, but it is like, yeah, and I broke these. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was just gonna thinking like the skeptic. Michael is going to see a bunch of broken dishes and he'll be like, yeah. oh yeah, a ghost did that. Okay, great. She also mentions those clocks and watches have stopped working essentially as soon as you go into the house. And then shows, you know, like the classic like bent spoons. I think she mentions like when you open the drawers, they were automatically like that. Yeah, yeah. So Pascal's last example are various cuts on Suzanne's face. And then the studio cuts back to Sarah, who is with Suzanne. And Michael asks her about them. And Suzanne mentions that she would wake up and feel like someone is all over her. And Michael asks Pasco about it, to which she explains uh, that Suzanne fit the profile, what poltergeists are essentially attracted to, which I appreciate that too, because I'm like, what are they attracted to? I mean, (laughs) I think she kind of says something about like the profile of like a early preteen girl trying to fit in or something. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Like coming close to puberty, I think. 
but Michael mentions essentially at this point in the broadcast to avoid bias, he would like to introduce physicist Emilio Silvestri from the Committee for the Scientific Investigation for Claims of the Paranormal from New York. <laughs> that is literally the title on the screen. And in my opinion, doing his best Ian Malcolm that is from good, yeah. <laughs> Jurassic Park, we meet Dr. Silvestri, who mentions that all this information provided so far could easily be faked. And we get a quick, you know, back and forth between Pesco and Sylvester, uh, Silvestri arguing. I love that. Like, he's like this total dick American. <laughs> but he sounds exactly like Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park. <laughs> and I find it interesting because this came out before Jurassic Park, right? Yeah, I think Jeff Goldblum <laughs> Caught this. You never yes, know. I, I would love to ask him that and be like, Jeff Goldblum in a, like a Q&A hall. Be like, have you ever seen the movie Ghost Watch? Um, so Michael eventually sends us back to Fox Hill for a check in with Sarah. She's playing a board game with the girls and asked about her paranormal experience. So we finally hear the story. Oh, and I, I, I will point out this is a true story from Sarah herself. She the story she's telling. Oh, really? It actually happened. Yeah. Basically, she tells the viewers about the time she and Mike stayed with their friends in a 15th or 16th century house. One night, she was woken up by a harpsichord music and saw an Indian woman's face. And the woman's eyes then rolled back into her head until they were completely white, and then the face disappeared. So the next morning, the owners told Sarah that their house used to belong to the Viceroy of India, who had two concubines. When the concubines died, the Viceroy couldn't bury them in a consecrated ground, so he buried them in his garden. And at some point, there was talk about digging up the bodies, but they never did. So that was Sarah's cue to go back to the bedroom and mention that everything is going to be okay, basically, to the ghost. And she said the atmosphere instantly changed. And then after that point, nothing else ever happened. So Sarah's interrupted by Kim, who tells Kimmy, I guess, who tells her it's bedtime. So Sarah puts her to bed and rejoins Suzanne downstairs, briefly mentioning how cold it is. While she's making coffee, Sarah tells her crew that, you know, with reason, like, it's actually scarier that nothing has officially happened in this house. I mean, you go into a ghost, uh, sorry, a haunted house, and you're, like, expecting things, but nothing's happening. But that's when Mike, her sound man, mentions that he heard animal scratching earlier and points out that his watch has since stopped. So things are getting spooky. So back at the studio, Michael plays video footage from a viewer who is asked to be anonymous, and the viewer shares their own ghost story before it's tossed over to Craig outside the Fox Hill house. And again, he's kind of swarmy a little bit, just jokey, har har, like as he introduces um, Yvonne Etherly, this woman who lives in the neighborhood. And she explains she is essentially just offered sanctuary for the earlies because she's lived across from them and she's witnessed all kinds of shit happening over there. And so she's like, if you ever need a place to get away... You can stay here. And another neighbor mentions that there have always been strange going-ons in the neighborhood, citing the disappearance of a little girl and the murder of a five-year-old boy. And then Craig immediately just pivots to a playground directly behind them. And that's when Yvonne tells him that really dark story of how she found a dead Labrador that was pregnant, had its stomach cut open, and all the fetuses were spread all over. And it's just like real dark. Like again, imagining like families watching this broadcast and they're like, what? What? Um, so Craig then introduces viewers to Arthur Lacey, who mentions that he's a spiritualist. And also a few things about this whole sequence. First off, I just like love this whole thing of uh, Craig Charles running around. He's running like down like two blocks talking to all these people and it follows him in real time. And it just gives it a good sense of, you know, you're watching this on TV as it's broadcast. But this is also my favorite cameo of Pipes that when Craig is 
running and and just about to meet the spiritualist, there's a small crowd of people gathered. In the back, you see pipes and you can see him the most clear of like the bloodied, beaten face. And he's just standing there because like the camera will be on Craig and Arthur Lacey. And then if they'll move, like sometimes it'll like move back and like pipes is still standing there, just like looking off into nothing. This is another one I totally missed. I didn't see it. It's one of those, like, you have to know what you're looking for. Otherwise, you know, your eyes not focused there at all. And that's what I think elevates this movie even more. So is like these little hidden gems. I mean, that's the sign of like great filmmaking is when someone's just like putting these details in and they're like, if you see it, you see it if you don't. But like now the lore is obviously great. So uh, while they're talking to Arthur, he tells Craig that he attempted to exercise the ghost in the Fox Hill home by praying with the family. And afterwards, he was physically sick for a week and even smelled blood on his hands. And that's when Craig immediately just says, after this really intense, like, fact, in my opinion, Craig has, like, a total squirrel moment. And he's just, like, as trick-or-treaters walk by, and he's like, oh, you're (laughs) trick-or-treating! Like, just change subject. Like, oh, look at these kids. They're so crazy. Uh, And that's when they're interrupted by Michael, who says, oh, they have to cut back to Sarah because something's happening. The Fox Hill House, Sarah points out, basically a wet spot in the form of a perfect circle in the living room carpet. And at first I wasn't sure what it was. I thought it was maybe just like a design, you know, like sometimes when you touch carpet, you can like, oh yeah, kind of make it into like a design. But um, Pascal's asking Sarah to check on whether anything was dripping from the ceiling and to check for any sense. Sarah is startled by Suzanne, who this is a pretty good quick jump scare moment where she's just like getting really like worked up, Sarah. And then all of a sudden Suzanne's just like standing there looking at her and she's just like startled. And Suzanne's like, can I have a glass of water? So, um, Come back to the studio where they take another call from a viewer, but it does appear to be a prank caller. So I'm glad they added that kind of in because, but was it a prank caller? Because that's the confusing thing. I forget. What were they talking about? Is it something about like, oh, I was eating a sandwich and then all of a sudden the plate was across the room. No, this one's not because this ties into later when hauntings are happening to people watching the broadcast and this is the first we hear of it so michael parkinson blows it off like oh prank caller yeah we knew this was going to happen i i see what's happening that's what he says something like that yeah but it does fit into later when you get more stories of people who are calling in uh but they turn it over back over to sarah who's investigating a strange noise in the house and the girl's burst into the room and yell, it's pipes! Of course, terrifying. As Sarah runs downstairs and notices pictures that the girls uh, drew scattered essentially all over the floor. And as she collects them, she's startled by a cat outside the sliding door. So another jump scare moment here. And when she stands up, this is the one I did see. We get a blink and you'll miss it moment of a man, essentially pipes, the outline of him in like the reflection of the sliding door, right? Yeah, like he's in, like he's actually in the kitchen, but it catches the reflection. But then you turn around and there's nothing there. I don't even know if it turns around and catches where he was standing at that point. They no, might just leave. I the think kitchen. it just keeps yeah. moving because they're yeah. following Sarah and like her all the yeah. papers in her hands. Uh, so the crowd, uh, sorry, the crew is startled again when they hear a loud bang coming from upstairs and worried about the children. Sarah hoofs it upstairs where Michael pleads for her to stay where she is. Essentially explaining that Suzanne has gotten out of bed, but has not appeared on the landing because they're looking at the cameras. So the studio uses the cameras set up in the house to check different angles. And this, I was not expecting Joe, because in a twist, 
we cut to the loud noise, but as it pans down, we see it's Suzanne banging on a door, making the noise. And we get a quick shot of Michael and Pascal in the studio looking very concerned. And then back in the house, Sarah consoles Suzanne, who like basically runs back into the bedroom and starts yelling, it wasn't me, which I was confused as hell because I'm like, is she possessed? What's happening? We'll see as it unfolds. Back in the studio, Michael then tells viewers how disappointed he is and chalks this whole thing up to a hoax. And that's when Dr. Pesco tells him not to be so hasty. But Michael immediately is like, I understand your hesitation considering all the work you put into this case, but she's making the noise, so therefore it's fake. So we cut back to the Fox Hill house where Michael patches in and asks Suzanne if she's responsible for all of it, scratches the writing in her books, etc. And Pamela enters and attempts to calm down his t- a hysterical Suzanne because she's not only just embarrassed, I mean, she's on like live TV at this point and everyone's just like, what the fuck are you doing? Suzanne mentions that uh, she was afraid they would leave, meaning the crew, if there wasn't any proof. So she decided to give them what they wanted. And Pamela doubles down and mentions that they're telling the truth, and Pascal has even witnessed unexplained events. The studio cuts back to um, Dr. Silvestri in New York City, and, I mean, you already know what's about to happen. He smugly mentions that the family are disturbed, attention seekers, and he knew it was all fake. He knew that life found a way. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And uh, Pascal mentions that whatever is in the house is deliberately trying to muddy the waters that we shouldn't like jump to conclusions. But Michael checks in with Mike at the switchboards who mentions that they're still getting calls about the shadowy figure in the video. They're even saying different call phone calls are all giving the same direction. Uh, sorry, description. And they're basically describing it as because we've been visually seeing a little bit of it. But essentially, the description is an old man or woman bald with a skull-like head, dark eyes wearing a black robe or dress buttoned up to the neck. And that's when Pascal interrupts and requests a specific interview she taped with the girls, to which Michael mentions that they will locate it and play it later in the show. But for now, they're going to move forward with a new ghost watch story because they can't in good faith just keep going following this family if it's all fake. So the screen behind them begins to play an interview with a woman named Laura. She starts to tell her basically her paranormal experience, and we're kind of focused on that for a while. But eventually it gets cut off due to a technical issue. And that's when Michael and Pascal take a call from a viewer. She's very hysterical at this point. This woman saying she has a long glass table that suddenly exploded and cut her husband's hand. She mentions that there's blood all over scaring the children and all the clocks have stopped working in the house. And Michael ends the call and mentions their intent is not to scare anybody with these accounts. That's when uh, Pascal's tape is eventually queued up and ready to view. And they play it where we see Pascal asking Kimmy about Pipe's description. And Kimmy describes basically the exact description that all the viewers were calling in and sharing, to which Pascal mentions that maybe they were focused on the wrong girl in this investigation, and it's Kimmy that they should have been following instead, because clearly she has some connection to the paranormal. And we come back to Sarah, who um, is with Pamela, and that Pamela asks, can you hear the cats? She points out that it sounds like they're trapped somewhere. And Kimmy appears and tells them that there's a problem with Suzanne upstairs. So that's when they head upstairs and find her with cuts all of a sudden all over her face. And even I think her body, maybe, right? Her neck. Yeah. And Michael questions whether she did it to herself. But Pamela points out she doesn't have any fingernails. Like, how would she do all that? And Sarah mentions that Suzanne is burning up. 
So Pamela tells her that she's in agony, but won't let anyone touch her, and she's been through all this before. So Sarah tries retrieving a cold cloth from the bathroom and is startled by... We do hear, like, this loud breathing. We don't see anything, but you caught that, right? Like, her back is to the door, and we just kind of hear this thing, and, like, all of a sudden she, like, turns around and screams and then says, like, oh, I thought I saw someone behind the door. And they do pan, but we don't see anything. Um, And then in the studio... Mike mentions that they received a very important phone call that uh, they should take. And we realize it's from a woman named Mary Christopher who tells them a story about a figure named Mother Seddons. And so, again, if you weren't, like, pretty terrified already, this is a pretty (laughs) great... How have we not gotten a Mother Seddons film yet, right? A universe. Yeah. Um, But Mother Seddons is a name used to scare children if they were naughty growing up. And Mary mentions that Years later, she found out that Mother Suddens was actually a real person who used to take kids in and kill them. She used to live in one of the terraces in Fox Hill by the railway, which is now Fox Hill Drive. And she's convinced that they must live in the house that Mother Suddens resided in, or at least on top of it. And so back at the house, Sarah mentions that Suzanne is feeling better and the plan is to get the girls out of the house. But Kimmy throws a temper tantrum and mentions that she wants to talk to Pipes. And she even mentions that he's in the room right now by the window. And Michael advises they leave the house immediately. And when they do, a loud banging starts. And the cameraman pans. And this is really great, Joe. The cameraman pans, giving us another, like, quick glimpse of pipes. And he quickly moves the camera. Because it's like he's panning and we see it. And then all of a sudden, it's like, in real time, we see the cameraman like, wait, what the fuck was that? And then, like, go back. But nothing's there. And it's great because it's not anyone pointing it out. It's literally the cameraman as he's filming. Like, wait a minute. Did I just, like, what we've all been experiencing this whole movie, yeah, like, yeah. it's great. So in the studio, Mike reports all kinds of calls from viewers about clocks and various appliances that have stopped working in people's homes. We cut back to Sarah, um, and her feed is slightly messed up, but she mentions that she can hardly hear Michael as banging continues throughout the house. And then all of a sudden, like, a picture flies off the wall, scaring everybody. And Suzanne is huddled on the floor in the living room. And starts to speak in that terrifying voice we heard from Pasco's recording earlier. And I think at some point, too, like, is it Pamela? I was kind of shocked if she's been through this before. I'm pretty sure she's, like, crouched down and she's like, knock it off, Suzanne. Stop. Stop. (laughs) It's like, clearly she's not doing it. So uh, upstairs, Sarah tries searching for Kimmy. And she moves from room to room until she heads back downstairs and finds Kimmy's stuffed bunny in the sink and water running over it. And Sarah finds Kimmy hiding, essentially. She kind of coaxes her out. And that's when Kimmy tells Sarah that Pipes told her to do it and that her bunny was a bad, bad bubby. (laughs) To which then she shows her the bunny's eyes, which she ripped out of the stuffed animal at some point and is holding in her hand. Or maybe Pipes did? I don't know. It's unclear. But it's still pretty creepy as fuck, right? Because she's drowning the bunny in the sink and then holding the, the eyes in her hands. And they're both then immediately interrupted by cat screeches, which they follow to the glory hole. And that's when the whole team starts prying the reinforcements off the glory hole door. And then it slowly opens by itself, giving us another quick glimpse of pipes. And that's when Mike, our audio man, I think it was him, right? Because it's moving so fast. I'm not sure. But I think it's Mike, our audio man, passes out and essentially has a cut on his head because it's really effective. And I, I just feel like I can't describe it in like an audio form here but like the door is slowly opening and from my point of view it looked like you can see a thing something standing there but the door mm-hmm. is blocking basically pipes standing in the glory hole just enough so no one else can see it yet 
And then that's when like the camera, the, the sound man goes down and everyone's like, oh my God, what's going on with you? And then I think essentially like Pipes is gone at that point. Yeah. We overhear even Suzanne at this point as he's going down screaming, he's touching me, get off me, you're hurting me. And then the feed is cut. And it's like so chaotic and terrifying, which then leads us back outside to Craig who is essentially calm, cracking jokes with his team as they're trying to recover footage. And I love this joke because it's like, yeah, like, is he not watching any of this? Yeah. Is it literally just like, he's just like shooting the shit outside and they're like, Craig, five, four, three, you're on. And he's just like, welcome back. (laughs) You know, like, just not paying any attention. So eventually the team recovers the footage back from inside and it cuts inside where everything appears to be normal. The girls are sitting around in the living room playing a board game with Sarah. Which I love, like, immediately, like, oh, well, I guess it's all okay now. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, Oh, yeah, they're just playing a game and no one's worried. And I knew from the jump, Joe, like, seeing this footage, I was like, oh, we've seen this before. Like, I I wasn't a dummy. And so I wonder how many other people were thinking that same thing. They were like, wait, they're playing a game again? So back in the studio, uh, they take another caller who mentions that they want to be anonymous. And it's a man who shares the history of the house the earlies live in. It's revealed that one of the former tenants sublet a room in the 60s to their nephew, Raymond Tunstall. And the caller was his social worker and worked with him after he came out of the psychiatric hospital. And Raymond had several convictions for molestation, aggravated abuse, and abduction of minors. But when he lived at Fox Hill Drive, he developed paranoid fantasies of a woman inside his body, taking over his thoughts and actions, making him do things he didn't want to do. His only way to escape was suicide. So Raymond hung himself in the room under the stairs, aka the glory hole. But the kicker is, he had dozens of cats that were locked in the room with him, and his aunt and uncle were on holiday for 12 days, so they didn't find the body until they returned. And the way they found him was they heard all the cats crying. And when they opened the door, they realized because it's 12 days and the cats were barricaded in, they didn't have any food. So they ended up eating part of Raymond. And that is why we get the description of the fucked up eye and grotesque face. But Pascal becomes panicked and mentions that by broadcasting the events of this haunting, they inadvertently may have caused a seance which I really dug this. I was like, oh, I like this twist. Like, I didn't realize, like, that. Yeah. The great concept. Um, and she notices the footage from the Fox Hill um, live feed essentially doesn't look right. And she essentially points out, oh, my God, this is old footage. And Michael's like, what? And she points out that the picture in the live, quote unquote, live feed right now still has the picture on the wall from earlier, because remember, as something happened, it flew off the wall. And so as she points that out, the footage immediately cuts over to what is actually happening. And we hear like this creepy squeal. We see the girls huddled in their bedroom. And then immediately, I mean, this would have been the tip off for me. I would have been like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm out of here, because we show the studio. And there's like this gust of wind all of a sudden, like just lightly blowing at Pascal and Michael. And then we begin to kind of cut back and forth between what's happening at the studio and then at the house. And that's when we see Mike being loaded into the ambulance while Kim and Kimmy and Pamela are being escorted into a police car. I love that Craig is also like, what happened? Yeah, he's just kind of walking with them, like not freaking out or checking on his poor comrade, Sarah, right? And inside the house, we get a shot of the infrared camera activated where we see Sarah looking for Suzanne. And then eventually it's turned off. I think it's 
at this point, Chris, right? The cameraman is the one that's doing that because it's supposed to be pitch black, I think, in there, right? And that's why they activate it because you can see her reaching. It's kind of very Silence of the Lambs where she's reaching out in the darkness trying to find find each other. Yeah, Because they're talking to each other. They just can't find each other. So after he switches it off and they find each other, um, she, Sarah hears Suzanne calling out to her and follows her voice to the glory hole, which, girl, you should know better. Don't do it. But nope, this is one of those like dumb white girl moves all of a sudden where she essentially opens the door, crawls inside, because I was reading descriptions that said she was dragged inside. But to me, it looks more like she's just looking inside and like yeah. it's closer and closer, like deeper into it. Where then eventually, I mean, surprise, the door slams behind her, essentially, I'm assuming, trapping her in. We don't quite know because we cut back to the studio where all hell has broken loose, Joe. I mean, lights are exploding while the wind is gusting and blowing all over. There's a big camera setup that's just like rolling through the studio. People are running around like... I think Pascal at this point is just MIA. She's out yeah, of there. She's gone. She's <laughs> just, nope. She probably knew right away. As soon as that wind started blowing, she's like, well, nope. Mm-mm. I know exactly what's happening. So uh, everyone except Michael has abandoned their posts, essentially. And at this point, too, because like the camera is kind of like moving around the studio. And if you, in another blink and you miss it moment, Pipes is standing in the catwalk of the studio. Oh, that's a good one. I don't remember even looking up there. But I suppose because the lights are blowing out, so we probably see it when we're looking at that stuff, too. Um, The studio eventually goes completely dark, and then a faint light slowly comes up, and that's where we see Michael, like, essentially talking to himself, wandering around. And at first, it's funny. It's like, oh, everyone's gone. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. Like, I don't know which camera to talk if the camera's on. They've abandoned their post. Yeah. You're just kind (laughs) of like, what is he saying? Like, it's it's really hard to make out because he's just talking very quietly to himself. He does eventually mention that the studio is totally deserted and stops right in front of the camera where cats begin to screech until he says round and round the garden like a teddy bear. And his voice instantly changes to that like scary demonic pipes voice that we heard from Suzanne. And it mentions essentially Mother Siddons until the feed is completely cut and then the credits start rolling. And so that is the end of Ghost Watch. And I can only imagine people tuning in like when all this madness is happening and then seeing this and being like, what is happening? You know what I mean? And like, there's no internet to like Google. You can't text people. Like, are you yeah. watching the news right now? Yeah. Are you like calling your friends? Like, are you watching the BBC? Like, Do you know what happened? Well, and at some point, I think it might be the glass table story. But the viewers talking about how terrified she is because she said the glass table broke and glass shattered and there's blood everywhere and she says something like you ought to be ashamed for broadcasting this my children won't go to bed they're fixated on this story and they refuse to go to bed until they see what happens and i can imagine as you said earlier like that really does run parallel probably not necessarily with the glass shattering blood everywhere but like with what people were doing is they tune in and they're genuinely interested in trying to figure out what the fuck is going on i doubt a child is like okay good night mom i'm gonna go to bed tell me what happened in the morning like yeah it's one of those big news stories it's like we all have to stay up as a family and see what's happening (laughs) yeah because this is obviously out of control but that kind of leads i mean to the overall question joe so does this still hold up for you? I mean, I still love it. I just like now my love of it comes from just how smart it is. Like, man, like they 
thought of so many things to fit into this. And again, this kind of fits into when we were talking about the Collingswood story. And I guess earlier talking about movies that freak me out of this like investigative horror, like Pulse and Cure and all that. It gets so creepy, like just talking to the people on the phone, like, here's the history of the house and da 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 da. And you're like, it's just this like dread of like, oh shit. Mm hmm. And I was going to say, like, and I mean, that is honestly 100% my favorite type of horror. I mentioned it kind of off the top, but like when it lets your imagination run wild and fill in the blanks, I think that's the most effective horror that maybe because we've been like hit over the head with like the more gore and the more you see in a lot of these like modern day horror, like the more people get excited about it because it's like supposed to make you feel uncomfortable where like I'm a little more old school in that other direction where like I prefer this type of stuff where it's like you don't know what's really going on. I mean, that's why I list the Jeepers Creepers as one of my favorite terrifying horror films, because that one is so effective in the way that like that pipe scene specific, like is great where they're like driving by and they look over to their left and they see this man in this truck, throw a bloody sheet down a pipe. And it happens so fast. And they in real time are like, did you just see that? And then as it progresses, it's like, we have to go back. What if that person's alive? What if it was you? It's like all these terrible things that you're like, no. So that said, that's a long-winded way of basically saying, yes, I love this movie because this is that and more. I mean, obviously going into it now, years later, it it doesn't have the same impact that it did back then, you know, of like knowing like, oh my God, this, maybe this was real. Like, you know, we're grateful enough to say like, we grew up in the Blair Witch era where we had our own experience with that. You know, the lore of people saying that was real. Those people really died. So I appreciate it. Yeah, I don't know how you pull something off like this or Blair Witch anymore. Like, I would think the closest thing is like maybe like weird YouTube videos that people come across. I'm like, that's probably been a thing. The best thing I could probably equate it to is it would be wonderful if somehow they could have pulled it off. But of course, they would have wanted to make money, so they couldn't do it. But it would be wonderful if they had made Unfriended exactly the way it is but like didn't release it theatrically they just like leaked it (laughs) and they were and then it was like going around on boards being like oh my god have you seen this and like have no context of it and have no like known actors or anything no credits nothing just have the video itself this footage to scare the shit out of people and then somehow maybe release it it's a real life cursed video from ring yeah exactly i mean and um The only other thing I can think of that was moderately surprised, but it doesn't, again, have the same element of surprises. I'm a big fan of the Blair Witch, the Adam Wingard version that came out. Like, that was the last Blair Witch film that came out. And I remember when they released that, I think the way they did it was everyone went to the movie thinking it was like a retrospective, like 2020th anniversary or whatever it was, 10th anniversary Blair Witch screening. And so they all went into it thinking that, oh, we're going to watch this original Blair Witch. Nobody knew this film even existed. And then all of a sudden it was like, bam, like right from the beginning, the movie started and they were like, whoa, what the fuck? They made another Blair Witch movie. And it's surprising in that way. It's not surprising because it's like, oh, this is scary and this really happened. But yeah, I feel like leading up to that, it was known that Adam Wingard was making a film, and I think it was called The Forest or something. Mm-hmm. And it was like only at the last second, they're like, ha Blair Witch. <laughs> <laughs> but I appreciate that, whether you like the movie or not. Like, those are like fun cinematic moments. But anyway, going back to this film, which is what we're actually talking about. Yeah, I absolutely would include this as like top 100 favorite horror films. And I'm so glad you suggested it because I do feel like it's a movie that more people need to know about or, or see. 
because I think it'd be a lot of fun to watch in group settings. It's just a shame that, like you said, it hadn't been released until like maybe what a few years ago, like in the U.S. Just last year, yeah. Yeah, so it wasn't available. I mean, I did read that. I think it said Shutter was one of the first things to like oh, actually yeah. be able to stream it for a while, and then it was gone, and then there was no physical release still in the U.S. Yeah, I think actually that might have been it. That Shutter got it two years ago, and then it left, and now it's on Tubi. And then, yeah, it was just put on physical media, I guess, last year. Well, thanks for suggesting this one, Joe. This is a great pick. Yeah, I'm glad that you liked it. And I'm glad that I was finally able to show it to you. Uh, well, Josh, uh, we just have one final week left of October. So what is your final Halloween horror pick? Well, I hate to break from the mold and go <laughs> away from um, our lovely theme that we've had with our cults and our sort of like high level great horror. but. Before I tell you the one I was going to pick, I was trying to be proactive and watch the film that I was going to tell you about today because I was super excited. I haven't seen it in years. And I was like, yes, we're absolutely going to do Soul Survivors, the 2001 Soul Survivors. (laughs) And I watched it and I was super disappointed because it does not hold up. I still enjoy it. I still like it. But I think you would have probably watched it and been like, this is not great. Like, the cast is great. There are some great set pieces, but it's very slow. I remember, because I did catch this when it came out on video. Because was this direct-to-video? No, this was in theaters. Oh, it did make theaters. Yeah. Because I don't think, it might not have come to my hometown, because I had, like, read a description of it and just waited forever for it to come out. And it mm-hmm. seemed like it was never going to. And then, yeah, when it did, it was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, again, I really enjoyed it. I'm a huge Eliza Dushu fan. So I was super, super pumped. And then going back, I was like, oh, my God, I forgot Casey Affleck's in this and Wes Bentley. Yeah. Um, and so, oh, and Luke Wilson, too. He plays the oh. priest. It's it's crazy. I was just, like, getting so excited when I started watching it. I was like, yes, I can't wait to talk about, like, all the MVHs in this movie because there are so many. And then it just kind of, like, it goes up and then it flatlines. And then it goes up for a second. And then it really flatlines. And you're like, oh boy. And the ending's all right. But I just was like, you know what? I don't want to go out like this. If I'm going to do something, I'm just going to go out on a high note with just a completely bonkers, ridiculous movie that I've wanted you to watch for a while. And it is very fitting because as we record this weekend, we will be going to see my horror daddy, Zach Galligan, in real life. But I'm hopeful we'll have at least a story to tell by the next time we record this. So... I am going with 1988's Waxwork, (laughs) which you may kill me for because, again, it's not scary. But I've been wanting you to watch this for a while because there is a lot to this movie. And in fact, the sequel is even more bonkers. I like I legitimately like the first one. The second one I'll watch because I have an appreciation for what they're trying to do, but it's just not a very good movie. But I'll be interested to see because if you watch both of them. I'm wondering if you'll be like, I liked one more than the other. Like two. Like, I wonder if you'll like two more than one. I don't know. Well, yeah, you've been talking this one up for a very long time, so I'm glad we're finally getting to it. At the very least, I know with Waxwork, even if you think the movie is shit, I think you're going to have a good time watching it because it's very entertaining. Well, awesome. Well, that'll be next week. Waxwork streaming on Tubi along with the sequel I just saw. Listeners, if you've liked what you've heard in this week's episode, please follow and leave a review in your favorite podcast app. Also, check out at Video Dropbox Podcast on Instagram, and you can reach out to us at videodropboxpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, remember to be kind and please rewind.